0: Okay, so I don't know how many of you were, were in our worship time uh, in the assembly, but we had the Jews for Jesus fellow speaking this morning, who did an outstanding job. It was, uh, 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 it was uh, not only wonderful to hear his message, but it was wonderful to hear his message. Uh, he, he was a very entertaining speaker. And I thought it ironic. I've got two songs, if we've got time for the slides, in my presentation today, both of them songs by Jews singing uh, uh, Christian songs and so I didn't plan that it's just the fortuity of of how it seems to fit but the first one we're talking this morning by the way about sanctification and I'm excited to talk to you about sanctification because it's something if you're a believer in Christ that's that's very important and integral to your life I had the joy of writing to church this morning with our daughter who's uh, will be a sophomore in college in the fall and I said to her I said do you know what sanctification means and she said Uh, a a definition that was was pretty good uh, uh, pretty dead-on but she said it with some hesitancy because she added I think at the end and so uh, Rachel's here today and and uh, we'll find out that she was right she uh, she got it right first song is one that I came across I bought the album when it came out I think in 1980 uh, by a fellow named Keith Green and the album was so you want to go back to Egypt And I want to play you this song and I want you to, I've got the words that'll scroll up and I want to know if uh, you can relate at all to what Keith's saying. Now, whenever I play songs, it's always a little iffy because songs for our class span from generation to generation. And so, you know, part of me should be playing Frank Sinatra uh, and part of me should be playing Beyonce Uh, But I tend to play instead people like uh, Keith Green and later on maybe some Bob Dylan. So uh, we'll start with uh, Keith Green. See what you think of this song. That's a great song and I don't know where you land on that I don't know what your life is like um, I suspect young or old your life is like his like mine and like brother Paul's because there are things I do in life that I wish I didn't do and there are things I want to do that I wish I didn't or that I don't I should say. There are people I've hurt that are the last people in the world I'd ever want to hurt. There are people that I'd love to help that sometimes I just don't have it in me, it seems, to help. And that's a problem. And so Keith Green wrote on that problem and he called that song Romans 7. And the reason he called it Romans 7 is because Brother Paul wrote Romans 7, and said something very similar. I don't know that Brother Paul intended for us to have music to go with it, so I'll leave that to Keith Green. But I want to show you Romans 7, and we're going to start with verse 14. If you would uh, uh, look up at the screen, I'll put it there, or you can look in your own Bibles. Paul says, we know that the law is spiritual. But I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I don't understand my own actions. For I don't do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good... We're going to ignore that passage for a moment just because it gets into a trail that we don't have time to get into today. But look, so now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who does it, who do it, but sin that dwells within me. It's a long passage, but bear with me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. What's Paul saying here? Paul is saying something very much like what Keith Green said. When we parse through what Paul has to say... You know, Keith Green says, there are things I hate I end up doing. Things I want to do I just don't do. Paul says, I don't do what I want. But I do the very thing I hate. Keith says, why am I so bad... When in my heart, I only want to be like you. Paul says, when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Wretched man that I am. Now, looking at that issue and looking at those struggles is what we're about today. And I want to do it in two different avenues. We've got two goals today. Our first goal is to understand what's going on why do we have this struggle no one really I say no one most people don't like to talk about their sin I suspect there are some who love to but most people don't And as a result, I think a lot of folks feel very isolated in their sin, like, there's something incredibly wrong with me that may not be as wrong with all these other people I see. Because most people don't wear their turmoil on their sleeve. And so I think we need to understand why, because hopefully as we understand why, everyone in here will be able to say, wow, I'm not peculiar in this regard. Okay, The second goal is to try and get some tools so that we not only understand why we're this way, but we see how God moves to change us. Because I pray that none of us are satisfied being sinful. And none of us are satisfied with attitudes... And, and, ...and actions that are ungodly. None of us are satisfied with a Romans 7 life. And so that's our goal. As we look first at understanding why, there is a major difference between what Keith Green was singing... ...and what Paul was saying, so I do want to start there. Keith says, why am I so bad when in my heart I only want to be like you... Paul doesn't say why. He merely says, when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand, wretched man that I am. That why is unique to Keith Green. Keith is asking why. Paul actually explains why. And so what we want to do is we want to go to Brother Paul for a little bit. And and we'll leave Keith behind with all due respect. And we want to go to Brother Paul and we want to talk about why. To do that, we're going to put Romans 7 back up here. We'll put a clean copy. I want us to focus in on two verses in particular. The first one is verse 14. Paul says, We know um, that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. You see that verse? I am of the flesh, of the flesh. If you had a New International Version... The New International Version for Of the Flesh would read about a sinful nature. And there's an interesting reason why. There's long been a struggle over what Paul's talking about. Can Paul truly be talking about the life of a regenerated, born-again believer in Christ when he talks about this sin that he struggles with? And there have been people, including some early church fathers, who have said Paul certainly is talking hypothetically about someone who's not been born again. Because when you're born again, you, you, you could never be this way. Those folks generally, if you read enough of their material, are either legalists who have reduced the law down to a set of rules that they can follow so that they feel very proud and puffed up, because they don't have a sinful nature, they're perfect. Or they're people who are just clueless, for lack of a better word. Paul's not talking, I don't believe, hypothetically. Paul's talking very specifically. Paul doesn't use the word sinful nature, Paul uses the word, I'm of the flesh. Let me explain to you a little bit of what I think is going on here. If if we were to put a timeline up, this is our timeline of the world. I can't spell timeline, but I can draw one. Okay, we have first the Garden of Eden, right? And the Garden of Eden was perfect. In the Garden of Eden, man was perfect. Woman was perfect, their bodies were perfect, food was perfect. I think the weather was perfect. I think the Garden of Eden was like Lubbock, Texas before the fall, (laughs) where all children grow up to go to Texas Tech, and Texas Tech is always the national champion. But the fall came, and we know That Lubbock's not the same, and Texas Tech has never won a national title. And, yeah, but there is next year. Um, So, the fall happens. And when the fall happens, things are not so perfect. But man is living under sin and under a curse. And that's where you and I are born. Our bodies are no longer perfect. Mine's not. It's one of the reasons I wear a jacket. It's... it's, We get sick. I've found brand new meaning to the song, Head, Shoulders, Knees and Toes, that my children used to sing. Those are the parts of my body that hurt when I get up in the morning. Head, shoulders, knees and toes, knees and toes. Especially the left knee, the right toe, the right shoulder. It's racquetball, comes from Whippin' Lewis, which is better than the part of the anatomy that hurts on him when we're done playing. I just is, you know, I'm, never mind. So, I'm convinced the Bible teaches, we all know, we have fallen bodies. But it's not just my body, it's my mind. I don't think perfectly, I don't have perfect control over my thoughts, my emotions. The more science understands the mind, the more we understand the importance of brain chemistry. And different people have truly chemical problems with their brains. And their brains don't function in what we would call normal. And there are people who need some chemical intervention to help control some of their their thoughts and their feelings because their brain chemistry is off. We all know people. Who struggle with the Olics. This is, this is the age of the Olics. We'll call this the olick age. I just made that up. <laughs> but this is the Olic age. Alcoholic. Foodaholic. Emotional-holic. People who just thrive on emotion. You know I, know, I know people who have to have an emotional moment every day. And preferably to inject one into the lives of those who love them. Angerholics. We've got folks who have in fallen bodies addictions of all kinds. Some may have a name, others we may need to make up the name. But Jesus Christ has come to bring redemption. And the cross of Christ has come historically at a time where we still live in these fallen bodies. And Christ has come into my life and the life of believers and said, I want you to be born again. I'm going to put my spirit within you. It's going to change who you are. You are a new creation, but I got news for you as I stand up here with love in my heart and look at you. And as you sit there with love in your heart, I hope and look at me. Our bodies, we hadn't gotten the new one yet. We're still in the fallen body. We still have the fallen mind. And just because Jesus comes into your life doesn't immediately transform you from an aulic person. I now have Jesus. I'm no longer an alcoholic. It's safe for me to have a social drink. If you're an alcoholic and you know Jesus, that doesn't take you away from being an alcoholic and you don't need to become Mr. Social Drinker. If you're a foodaholic, just because you know Jesus does not mean the struggles you have with your diet are over. If you're a, an envious person, just because you know Jesus doesn't mean you no longer struggle with envy. If you're a gossipolic, Just because you know Jesus doesn't mean, oh, I don't gossip anymore. Now they're prayer concerns. (laughs) Jesus, I've still got this flesh. And by flesh, I don't mean simply in some Gnostic sense, the body. But the body's a part of it. I don't like the NIV translation of the sinful nature because it, it takes away from the, the, the word that Paul uses. Is the word just means under the flesh. I'm still in the flesh. I've still got some elements of fallen Mark Lanier even though the Spirit of God is inside me. There will come a day where I am with him eternally. But, and, and, and in a sense, I can say that day is here now. But in a sense there's part of me that will not be there on the kingdom and it's that old me that's still hanging on to my flesh and bones and still in my mind and still exercising some measure of activity within me. And so Jesus will come again and and there will be redemption in heaven. There is a final... Redemption, where things are made right, where I get a new body, where I'm known fully and I know properly, maturely. My brain works right. But our problem is, is we live in two ages right now. Our spirits are right here in in the final. We have the Holy Spirit of God eternally. We've been born again, but we've still got those bodies hanging on from that older age. Kind of like Adam and Eve, they lived in two ages. They lived in the garden, but then they made it down there to sin too. And that's the way we do. And so when Paul writes, Paul writes and he says, I know that the law is spiritual, but I'm still of the flesh. I'm sold under sin. And sold there is is in the Greek tense. It's called the Greek perfect tense. What it means is, this is something that's happened in the past, but I'm not talking about it in the past. I'm talking about the present ramifications. What it means to me today. What it means to me today is, I struggle because in the past under Adam I was sold to sin. And this is the same thing Paul says later. He says in verse 22, he says, I delight in the law of the law, God in my inner being. But I see in my members an other law waging war against the law of my mind. And that's what's going on. Make sense? This is the Why? The why is that we live in the two different time periods. Our bodies are still under the curse. Our minds are still under the curse. Our will is still affected by the curse, even though our spirits are set and God's spirit dwells within us. So the key, Paul says... In changing from who you are to who you want to be and who you should be is this word called sanctification. And if I were trying to give you a picture of it, I would steal one Dale Hearn sent me. Sanctification is being Mr. Clean or Mrs. Clean. Sanctification is being pure. It's being strong. But the word sanctification in the Greek actually... Is, is from another Greek word that you know a whole lot in the Bible. Anyone care to guess what it is? Holy. Holy. Let me give you another one. Same root, same word in the Greek. Saint. A saint is someone who's sanctified. The words are related in the English too, even though the spelling's slightly different. So sanctification, what does it mean at its root? At its root, it means set apart. It means different. Paul writes, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. I'm going to digress for a minute, not just because I have a 19-year-old daughter in here. She's heard this many times before, but the rest of you may not have people on the internet may not have. Let's go back. Here's here's the line. Okay, this is the world oops at the time of Paul. Okay? Paul says be sexually pure. This is the world of, I think for children, this is always the world of my parents' generation. Which means this is what my children would say of me. World of my parents' generation. But it's what I say of my mom and dad. That's what they probably say of their mom and dad. World of my parents' generation. Be sexually pure. But, here's my world. And in my world, eh, things are different. This, the morality is different now. Things are different. It, it, it's a lot more open. Now, I'm using sexuality here because Paul did... But the principle applies all the way across the board for any of the allics. Right. Things are different now in my world. Today, guys and girls, they, they don't... You know, I was just mom and dad. That was their age. Yeah. Okay. Anytime you start thinking that, first of all, factually, I think it's dead wrong. All right. Yeah, my age thought that my parents' generation was the one who had all the sexual hang-ups and things were easier. But you go back to Paul's time. In Paul's time, their sexuality blew ours away. We're all, my, our children's generation. You, you can't turn on rap music that, that's got the most... Uh, and, and some rap music I listen to. So this is not like a, gee, he's condemning all rap music. no. I'm condemning some rap, or it doesn't have to be rap. It can be Chevy Van from the 70s, or any other number of songs that seem to have come out over the years. But you you cannot say that, oh, gee, things are worse now, or things are more open now than they were at the time of Paul. At the time of Paul, they'd have orgies as part of religious expression. The pagan world would teach that there was a God of passion and the way you honored him and got honor in your house and made him happy was to go have orgies. So don't say, oh gee, well, Paul was writing at a, at a different time. He doesn't understand our culture today. The whole point of Paul's writing, whether it's sexuality or something else, is that here is the world and this is the way the world is. But however the world is doesn't justify your behavior because you're not of the world. You are supposed to stand out. You are supposed to be different. This is where the believer is. The believer stands under the cross of Jesus. He doesn't stand under the world. The believer is not interested in what the world is doing. The believer is set apart. The believer is to be sanctified. The believer is to be different than the world. That's the difficulty of being a believer when you're at that age where you want to be like everybody else. But Paul and the Spirit of God says, I didn't make you to be like everybody else. I called you out from everybody else to be mine, to be different, to be holy, to be set apart, to be sanctified, to be a saint. That's the answer to the problem. That's the why. So we've been called to be different, even though we're still stuck in the olick bodies, with so much of the fallenness that comes with our olickisms. We're just making up tons of words. (laughs) But that's the problem we've got. Does it make sense? Do we see why there's a problem? Now, are you ready for me to give you the fix that you can take home and, boom, be a different person from here on out? Totally in control, never having a problem again, no more sin. Are you ready? Okay, here are the tools. Number one, there is no magic pill. I can't give you that. Sorry. Oh, I wish I could. If I could, Paul would have had it. And God would have ensured that he wrote it down or God would have had someone else write it down for us. So what I have for you is not a magic pill. I have tools. I have some things that will help. I have some things that I want you to use so that God can work sanctification and purity and continue to draw you out and help you live differently as you've been called to live. So that you don't fly off the handle as frequently. So that you don't say the mean cutting things, even when you do it with a smile on your face in such a polite manner. So that you don't lose your, 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 your cool, lose your temper. So that you don't fall prey to, to physical temptations, be they food, Overindulgence of food, overindulgence of alcohol, overindulgence of, of uh, anything. Okay, Paul said in, in Philippians, I haven't already obtained it. I'm not already perfect. There's not a magic pill. He says, not, you know, I, I would love there to be one, but there's not. So, rule one, not rule, tool one. No magic pill. Tool number two, recognize your goal. Keep your eyes on where you're headed. Know what your goal is. Paul said it this way in Philippians 3. He says, this is the rest of that verse that I just started. Not that I've already obtained it. Not that I'm already perfect. But one thing I do, he says, I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me His own. I press on, the, the New American Standard says, for the goal of the upward calling of Christ. One thing I do, I, 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 I see the goal in front of me. I know where I'm headed. Let me, let me tell you the goal. Let's be blunt here. God wants you pure. God wants you holy. God wants you ethically right. That's His character. That's who He is. What we call, ethically right what we call good what we call holy are just words that we have given to describe God that's why Jesus says we worship God because only he is holy don't call any other man good only God is good that's the meaning of the word good We can't all decide, oh, hey, we live in a different world today. Today it's okay to do this, even though Paul said no, because we're in a different world. We've got to be very careful when we do that. We've got to be very careful. If Paul said no for cultural reasons, he tells us. But if Paul says no because it's not the character of God, that hasn't changed. God's character has not changed. And we live by His character. Tool number three, treat sin as sin. Well, Mark's told me I'm a sinner. Okay, might as well do it. No, it's sin. Well, I sinned. Okay, Mark says that's just part of the old man. Well, zippity doo da zippity. No, it's sin. And let's treat it as sin. Paul writes to the Corinthians and he talks about how godly grief produces repentance. When we sin, when we have the Alec moments, when we have moments where we're doing things we don't want to do, or moments where we're failing to do what we want to do, when sin is in our life, when we've got the Romans 7 issues, one of the things we've got to do is repent and confess. Lord, I'm sorry. Oh, maybe your confession needs to be in your repentance. Lord, I'm not as sorry as I should be. And I feel like a hypocrite saying I'm sorry because I'd probably do the same thing again tomorrow, given the chance. Then confess your hypocrisy and repent of it at the same time you're repenting of the sin, even if it's not a a full repentance. You still, you, you treat sin as sin. We've got to understand sin is sin. We can never whitewash it. We can never ignore it. To do so would be quenching the Spirit of God because it's the Spirit of God that's telling us it's sin. No one understands sinfulness as much as the saved because the Spirit of God's in us pointing to it. Don't ever grow cold. Don't ever grow numb to it. Let it hurt you. Repent and confess. Then accept the forgiveness. Don't wallow in guilt. Then guilt becomes shame. Shame's not godly. Jesus has paid the price for the sins. So I'm not saying be shameful. I am saying recognize true moral guilt and take it to the Lord and pray pray over it. Next, fill your life with holy deeds. Have you heard the passage that's not in the Bible but maybe should be? I say that tongue-in-cheek an idle mind is the devil's workshop it's not in the bible but it's pretty biblical paul's teaching was this he says whatever's true whatever's honorable whatever's pure whatever's just whatever's lovely whatever's of good repute or commendable think about these things live do these things Fill up your glass so much with water that it's overflowing and it doesn't have room for you to fill it up with garbage. You're going to have trouble with garbage in your life to the extent you haven't filled your glass up and you got room to hold it. If you're busy enough doing the good things, you don't have as much time to do the bad things. If you've got issues with... With You know what your issues are. Whatever they are, identify them. Figure out where your weak times are. And then you figure out how by the grace of God, through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, to put true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable things all around that. So that you don't walk down that path where your Alec lies. Or your alex. Number five, know that God is moving you to holiness. Do this in confidence that you're not doing it alone. You can't do it alone. It's the Holy Spirit at work in sanctifying you. It's the Holy Spirit that's doing it. God is is making you you sanctified. This is not something you're doing on your own. You have not the power. On your own, you do not have the power to conquer sin. The power to conquer sin only comes from the Lord Jesus and His Spirit working in you. But you have that. Don't ignore that. Accept that. Live in it. Enroll with it. Paul says it this way to the Philippians. Therefore, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling because it's God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. You can work it out. You can, with fear and trembling, try to figure out your holiness before the Lord because you can do it with confidence that God is in you doing it. He is supplying the power that resurrected Jesus, and that's what you're to tap into. Number six, tool number six. Press on and on and on. One thing I do, Paul said, Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Oh, I've sinned. I press on. I pray for repentance or forgiveness. I confess. I repent. But I sin again. I still, I still. And I press on. I press on. I'm confident God's going to change me. Little by little, every day, little by little in every way, our God is changing me. Bob Dylan, great song. Pressing on. I, I'm just going to play a little of it because we don't have a lot of time. But I love it because for five minutes he just, with a couple of verses, keeps singing about I'm pressing on, and it starts out just and ten minutes
1: again. Yes, I'm pressing on.
0: That determination just, just
1: i pressing on the be higher
0: calling up my Lord. Being set apart, a higher calling of the Lord. That's what he's doing. He's pressing on. He's pressing on, He's pressing on, and he keeps singing it. "Oh, I wish I had a gospel choir up here with Bob Dylan. I couldn't get his home number. I tried to call him last night to see if he was busy. So I'm having to do you a little bit more of the album. But listen to this. He just keeps going. I've segued through about three minutes of Pressing On at this point. He'd been building for three minutes. I saved you the building. That rhythm just keep pressing Pressing on. Pressing on. Pressing on. And that's my encouragement to you. I'm 48. I'll be 49 this year. I've got sin in my life. But I'm pressing on. I'm not pressing on in defeat. I'm pressing on knowing that there is a God at work in me, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. And so with fear and trembling, I'm going to take the tools that I can find I'm going to seek counseling from friends and others and wise people. But I'm going to try to press on in this life and continue to watch God work changes in me as He sanctifies me and sets me apart. It's my prayer I won't be making excuses, especially to myself. It's my prayer I won't be ignoring or growing numb but that with sensitivity, or as Paul says, with fear and trembling, I will continue to work out. I love to bake. I love to knead dough. Actually, I like it when the machines knead the dough for me. I mean, in my mind, I just love to sit there just knead that dough and get the gluten forming and get the yeast spread out through the dough. But in reality, I've got this wonderful mixer that does it, and I just love to watch it and eat it when it's done. But that's the principle that Paul's talking about. We work out our salvation. Not in the sense of, oh, now we're working to get saved. He doesn't mean that at all. You can't read Paul and get that. He means it like you work it out in dough. You work it out because God's working it in. And you just keep pressing on. Points for home. What a wretched man I am. Who will deliver me? Well, that's Keith's and Paul's question But it's also their answer Jesus Christ See the reason we press on Is because we know the end The end is these bodies that are Sold under sin and slavery This sinful nature This whatever it is you care to call it I think it's part of the fleshly body I don't think you can remove it from that But this flesh that we've got Will be redeemed And in the twinkling of an eye We'll have glorified bodies. And all that that means and goes with it. And it's the promise we have. It's the deliverance we've got. It's what gives us the courage. It is, point two, the will of God that we be different from the world. And you may struggle with it, and I struggle with it. But it doesn't change it at all from being the will of God finally work out your salvation god's at work in you don't give up don't ever let satan discourage you don't ever think oh i've had this problem for i don't know how many years i wish my my grandmother's not here today but she'll be what mom 92 this year and she has sin in her life we know it we live with her Which means that everybody who lives with me knows I've got it too. It's just the way of it. We've all got it. And it's my prayer, whether you're 92 or whether you're 15, that you know that God is not content to leave you in sin But part of the promise of our eternal life with Him and part of the confirmation that we have that we are a different people, that we are born again, that we do have His Spirit, part of the confirmation is the fact that we're not satisfied with being who we are. We're not satisfied with being sinners because we're not going to be sinners for eternity. Praise God. And we know where we're headed and we want to get there. And we're not satisfied with where we've been. If we liked it there, we wouldn't have left it. I left a life of of no God and embraced Jesus Christ because of my sin. Why would I be happy with my sin now? One of the saddest songs in the world that I won't play, I won't listen to is a Billy Joel song where he says, I'd rather laugh with the sinners than die with the saints. Sinners have much more fun. He's wrong. He's just wrong. I want to Every time that song comes on, before I switch it off, I want to call him up and say, okay, come on, let's live side by side for a week and see who's having more fun. I'm having more fun getting away from my sin than you're ever having wallering in yours. And the only thing that's keeping me from having absolute fun is the sin I can't seem to get away from. So I encourage you, press on. Because I'm pressing on with you. This is something we're doing together. Because we're brothers and sisters. We're all living in that same age together. So let's press on together. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you so much for your love. Thank you so much for reaching down and calling each one of us by name. Thank you for your spirit moving in our lives to embrace you. Thank you that your spirit works in our hearts to convict us of sin and of righteousness and and, and of the judgment we have. Thank you that we're not saved by you, Lord, because we're good enough but that having saved us, you promise to make us good enough. And I pray you would quickly instill in all of us greater tools to see you daily transform us. Lord, people in here are hurting in all sorts of ways. They're struggling with all sorts of different sins. I can't dream up all the olex we've got, Father but you know every one of them. You're already at work in our lives and I pray you'll encourage my brothers and sisters to take up the tools, those that we've looked at this morning and others that are out there and press on toward the goal of the upward calling of Jesus Christ. We pray in Jesus until our redemption before you is eternal. Amen.